Hello, Jonathan. Welcome to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast. Don't know what episode. Um, I'm your host, Bristol Hadley, and um, as I've already established, there is the uh, co-host, Jonathan Lewis, sitting virtually opposite me. It is literally virtually. I'm, I'm, I would say I'm, I'm, I'm more of a lay, lay, in, a lay in sit. Uh, yeah, yeah. I suppose the literal sense is not so much in your actual um, posture, because I yeah, you, you're late. You're laying down. You're not sitting up or sitting. No. Is laying not just a lazy form of sitting? Or... Yeah, I think so. So I did some... Um, what did last night? I've done some... Uh, speaking of posture and all that, I've done a bit of a more advanced yoga yesterday. It was horrific. Okay, I can't tell you. Pyramid pose and all that shit. It was like, fucking what's this about? Oh, yeah, and this but... guy is like... I don't know, a flexible fucking wizard the way he just wanders around the place with his uh, flexibility on show unbelievable that's how you get in that position how could you get so imagine your, your legs are straight and try to touch your toes or try to touch the floor so he, he's, his legs are straight his palms are on the floor and he managed to get his head between his legs to look behind him sorry about him I reckon I could do that no I can't hold Maybe on can... hold on can you see me? Sort of. I can definitely get my palm on the... Maybe not... Maybe not my... I can get my palms on the floor. Hold on, let me put my headphones back in. I can get my palm on the floor, but I cannot get my head kind of... I can see through my legs, but I can't actually get my head between my legs. So I can see you can't do that. through my legs. Well, no, okay. Yeah. You've got a bit quieter all of a sudden. Hello. Hello. Are you back now? Always back now. It's my fancy microphone. Maybe you think you need to go closer to the microphone now. You've gone all funny again. Still now? That's better. Hmm. It's weird, isn't it? As soon as you move, like, Hit. five oh, inches away from your microphone, you can't hear you. This is a treat for the listeners. Oh. Right. So anyway, it's a very difficult, very difficult pause, but some of them are not too bad. So I'm doing, I've done yoga every day for 10 days. Maybe ten days. Felt felt any benefit? Felt like it's been useful? I think I'm just thinking low back injury from before from rugby, and I'm not the most flexible, quite stiff. So I'm thinking low back, tight hamstrings, tight hip flexors, maybe tight lower back. Probably not a good combination for lower back issues. So thinking if I can be a bit more flexible in that area maybe will prevent me from injuring my back again um actually I, I don't uh i don't claim to really know what when people say this what any of these really mean tight back tight hamstring type hip flexors like genuinely it's kind of like one of those things i hear and i'm like i don't actually really know what it means what do you think? i don't know if like tight hamstring is you can't touch your toes I'm not even touch your toes, but like, for me, I can't remember the name of the pause now. Anyway, like a lower back for me, you'd have, mm. cross, cross your legs, sitting up, 
just sitting up with your legs crossed. And put your palms in, put your hands on the floor in front of you as far as you can go. Like when my lower back was hurting, you could sort of, when you tuck your chin in, you can feel it. But as soon as it got, as, when I got better and better and better, I would get out further and further and further. So I'm assuming my lower back was a bit more loose, if, if that's how you want to call it. And if, if I felt better. And then it's like, I suppose, I, I suppose tight hamstrings are, I suppose it's the thing of, is it tight or is it too tight? Because I mean, you need some sort of tightness to be powerful in you. And if you're too loose, you're not going to be as powerful as you. But not that I'm interested in power and, as in like in the in the weight room as such. But if you can't, but before I couldn't, like sometimes I won't pass my knees and I was that stiff. Now I can touch the floor. So I'm like, that's, my hamstrings are less tight than they were. I can't imagine that being a bad thing for injury prevention as such, unless I was going for like one rep max all the time, which I'm not, and I never will do, ever, again, probably. But again, combine that with jiu-jitsu, which, is, which you are using your body a bit more, which may help in a different way with flexibility. I'm thinking, potentially, I can stop my lower back issues. Not that it's a massive issue, it happens like once or twice a year. But still irritating. So, so, you, so you would say that you felt some benefit from the stretching yeah. and the yoga and stuff. Yeah, good. I, yeah. I wasn't I, even the tight thing. I wasn't questioning what you were saying in terms of like I just meant more around it. it's kind of one of those things that people saying. I've never really thought about like what does it actually mean. I think for jujitsu, if you're more flexible, you can be able to get out of things. It's like it's like it's one. The way to get out the side control, and if it's a side control, and you bring your knee so they are tight to you, you bring your knee up, up into you, and in between their hips and you, that is quite. If you're stiff, it's gonna be very difficult to do. Yeah, I imagine that'd get in the way, mate. If you're stiff and that, I don't know. You tend to get a bit stiff when another bloke's laying on top of you, and yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we shouldn't say that. The, um, I was I was an open mat on Saturday, which is like going there. It's not really a class as such. You just you just go on and you just, as they say, roll with where everybody is there. And the guy who takes is a is a brown belt. He's been brown for a few years, so I imagine he's gonna be black at some point soon. And I had his, he was soaking, and I his literally his chest was in was on my face. It's mm. quite interesting. I'm like yeah. He said, what's your goal for because they said, what's your goal from this role? I said, you not the choke not within 20 seconds. So right, okay. He didn't, like he let me do things. So I think you I find that. I think with the better ones, they would put themselves in positions where they say, Oh, look what I am. Now look what you can do. Yeah. And then the ones who are like it was a few boys here within like two or three months. Like they were gonna add it because they are not they're better than me, obviously. But they're still not that good. So they th- I think they tend to go harder, even though they they were showing you stuff that um, after the fact they'd strangle you when you tapped out. Then they'd say, "Look, well, do this." Whereas the brown belt would put himself in positions so you learn on the roll, not after. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I no, no doubt. The, the, obviously, the the height that you know, the the leader, or the, the I don't know what you call them, master, but you know, the person, obviously, the trainer is gonna. One being more qualified and obviously having more experience, 
is going to feel a lot more comfortable allowing themselves to be in positions with you, knowing full well that the likelihood is they'd be able to kind of over, like adapt and overcome that, you know, whatever that position might be. Like they'd leave a, leave an arm in a place where, <clears throat> excuse me, that obviously if they were fighting someone more technical or in a match, they wouldn't do. But with you, they feel comfortable doing that because they know that either you're going to learn in that positional perspective, aren't you? Or um, they're likely going to be able to kind of overcome, obviously if you did try to then get them in a more dangerous position after that anyway. Yeah. He did exactly that. He let me do it, and then swiftly removed me from it. Yeah, that's what I mean. So, but that's good. I think. I mean, I think from a beginner's perspective, that's the sort of thing that needs to happen. Because I mean, like obviously, you know, we spoke about last week about me signing up, and one of my concerns is just feeling so out of my depth. And I think if you go there and you had the experience of you know getting choked out in twenty seconds, you don't. They they don't gain anything from being so dominant over you, and you don't no. learn anything. So the whole point of that. Um, situation is completely lost so it's important I think that they, they kind of do at least support and obviously I think that was probably show you a good trainer and a good um, yeah a good trainer I, I think you could you could also align that a lot with um, nutrition and kind of personal training in the same breath of that I think is if if coaches themselves don't let you experience stuff and kind of help and support you kind of in the moment sometimes. I think, again, the person themselves might actually not learn as much. And that might sound a bit counterintuitive, but I think even allowing like people to make their own choices and make their own mistakes and learn from their mistakes, I think that's really important. It's like, it's like giving them a framework, isn't it? It's like with a client, you don't just say, here's a meal plan, because it's too, and there's no framework to adaption is there what happens in a situation what happens in that situation it's like it's like the instructor telling me when this happens do this it's like well that's not always the case you could get to that position in different ways and go over different ways so if you have the framework you're more likely to, I think it's easier to learn in it you learn from your own mistakes or oh, what well, I did that last time so now let's try doing this instead yeah yeah. find ways like it, when you go for food you're like if you've, got a, if you've got a diet plan, you're like, well, I don't know what to do now. But if you're like, okay, here's a framework for when you go out, look for these types of foods, do these with your calories, blah, blah, blah. And they can go, well, actually, I did that and it didn't work. Or oh, I did this and it was great. And then you go, right, well, what can you do better next time? It's just about learning, isn't it? Yeah. Because instructor may not always be there. Like in the match, you won't be there, will you? You go do it yourself. Hmm. Yeah, and I think on just or I do this, he does this, and I do this without maybe understanding why you're doing it. You're probably gonna fail at some point. Yeah, and I, I think it's important to allow clients to do have that fail, like sometimes, because I think you, they will learn more. And they'll learn their own, and obviously, I think you'll also get a lot more from people in terms of buying motivation when they have their own autonomy to go and make those mistakes. Clearly, there's a big role for the coach. Uh, from a support and empathy perspective and making sure that obviously that failure doesn't turn into them burning their own house down. Um, It's quite funny. I had this conversation with a client, um, Lammy, this week where uh, I made a joke about half, not even half, like 90% of my time as a coach is stopping people burning their own houses down rather than actually providing much knowledge or education to a certain point. Like most of the time, it's just telling people to stop messing up. Like, you know, that that analogy of like you, you... you go off the road a bit or you, you get one flat tire what you know just stopping people punching the next three 
that's basically the role of a coach half of the time. Um, and that sounds ridiculous, but I think that also aligns with people, obviously, when they have their own experiences and, and yeah, they get that puncture. You learn a lot from that rather than trying to avoid punches the entire time. I suppose that was kind of the point that I kind of originally meant, but anyway. The way that you punch can't go through, especially if you've got, you've got no weight measure and you can't just, you will make mistakes at some point. You can't be perfect. It's not possible. It's not possible. I mean, even uh, even Royal Gracie lost once. So, I mean, you're never going to go through your whole career without losing at some point. That's that's well, that's another jiu-jitsu reference if for anyone that doesn't know. Yeah, there's me thinking I'm king of jiu-jitsu now. I've been doing like four weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still going there and just to get laid on and choked up. <laughs> the, 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 the point you made about like being sweaty and like oh there's chests in my face like when you then start aligning that in kind of with like the more MMA realm and you kind of then start getting in like actual fights where there's like blood dripping into people's mouths and it, then you, that's a whole different realm you know, you, you know I've got all of the sweat and all the stuff but you've got blood and yeah because I've, I've seen like people get into like um, grappling positions after like they've had a massive cut and obviously there's just blood streaming and um I see it like fall down their chin and drip in the other person's eyes and face and mouth and like all over them. You're like, oh, that's an unhygienic sport. <laughs> I didn't think it that bad, really. I don't know why. I think because you're like trying to, because at the time, he's wrapped on your neck as well. You're like, you're trying to like breathe. So you're not, you're not too concerned with it. I yeah. wasn't. Yeah. Well, whatever, yeah. I, I, uh, you, you kind of get to a position where um, it's like on the bottom of your list of worries at the moment. Like sweating your sweating your face or someone else's sweat is kind of like yeah I'm not not too concerned about that at the moment when I'm trying to just avoid having my neck like bent over or you know like an arm snapped into. Mm. Which is very easy. But mm. I think he made everything look easier without trying, and I think that's the same as nutrition. They've done it for years. You're a coach. You you just do things naturally. It doesn't really. You, there's no real no thought. But there's no active thought in it much anymore. You just do it because that's what you do. It's like him. He just does it because he knows exactly what's going on. He knows exactly. There's no way he's going to fail against me. Yeah, anyway. well, that's what happens with knowledge and experience. So um, that's not a failure then. Yeah. Um, guess what I did this weekend? Judging by your Instagram, you walked down the road and back. <laughs> yeah, long road. Yeah, I did. Um, yeah, I. Uh, a lot of people said, "Oh, did you do some sort of charity thing?" I said, "No, it wasn't charity. It's just for fun." I'm like, so what? I said, uh, "Well, me and my so this, this is the premise of it, or the nuance, I suppose, in that me and my friends um, haven't seen each other, or this group of friends haven't all seen each other together in quite a while because obviously the pandemic and stuff. And we wanted to get together and do something. And I guess it's like a lot of people. Most people's initial reactions always immediately suggest oh, let's go out for food or let's sit in a pub all day or, you know, like things that might necessarily, might not necessarily align with the most healthful of actions. I think that's quite normal, isn't it? You know, like when when you meet your friends, the first thing you normally do is that, you know, it has to revolve around food or alcohol or something. Yeah. And we kind of just thought, why don't we do something a bit more like, I don't know, not necessarily sport or exercise related, but just something a bit more kind of like healthful or fitness related or something. So... Um, and I think that like I put a post in my in our in my in our um, nutrition Facebook group the other day, just asking people around what their like favourite 
social things to do that aren't revolving around our food and alcohol, whether they're fitness related or what. And I think it's just like it's a funny concept because it's just it's usually the sort of thing that people just don't think of. I mean, I guess in the fitness sphere, a few more people maybe would, but general population people will generally just look at, you know, if you're meeting someone, you're meeting for a coffee and a cake, or you're you're meeting to go to the pub, or like you're meeting your mates down the pub all day and just drinking all day. Um, and I, I suppose as you get a bit older, it doesn't always align with your values or wants or needs. I think it becomes hard as well. I think you know, if maybe not for us anymore, but if someone who's starting like um, a weight loss journey, but they are their close friends are not. So you're almost the odd one out to the time. You go, why don't we do this? Yeah. It's like, oh, well, why, 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 why would we have done as well? Yeah. They, that's hard to get. Yeah, it's absolutely hard to get buy-in from the other people sometimes when all the rest of five wants to go to a pub all day, and then there's you saying, well, can we do something that's not just sitting around drinking? But I do suppose, or it's it's that thing again of flexibility. Is that one? Can you not fit that one thing in? If it's like sporadic you meet them mm. it's different if you meet them weekly in it yeah. I think it depends if they want to though well yeah like what, what... I think being mate when it's like well next time we'll do what you want to do and this week we'll do what we want to do yeah yeah because because you might they might the, the individual themselves might think I just I don't want to do that and I don't want to break my diet or I don't want to suffer like it's like a lot sometimes a lot of the choices of having a takeaway we know that you can fit a takeaway in a diet have eating a calorie deficit and still lose weight to the goal that you maybe want to assuming we're obviously we're talking weight loss here um doesn't mean that people always choose to you know a lot of people won't want to though because actually they know the requirements to do that means that they're either going to have to lower food volume elsewhere or um or lower food intake i should say sorry elsewhere or they just might just be something that they're not overly bothered by and they might decide that the, the easier and more um kind of long-term effective route for them is to avoid the takeaway and it's kind of like, well, same thing with, with this, really. Some people think, like, okay, I could fit in a day of drinking, or it might not make a big difference, really, in the longer term, but actually I don't really want to do it. And I think that that can sometimes cause, I guess, just anxiety or anxiousness or negative feelings when you're when you're the person then trying to organise or, you know, see your friends and stuff, and everyone else wants to do something slightly different. But anyway, I mean, I guess, as I said, it's, it's an interesting point to bring up because I, I think a lot of people could probably empathize when they've started a weight loss journey that that does come up as a bit of a barrier or um uh, you know a negative situation potentially in people's minds when when they kind of get asked to do something like that but we we decided we want to do something one of my mates just said oh actually quite local there's a there's a a walk like an organized walk or say organized like a a, quite a reasonable famous walk you can do it's like 30 miles long I was like, okay, yeah, I've done, I've done longer than that before. I did a charity walk in a couple of years ago. I thought, yeah, let's, let's do that. That's fine. So uh, I basically hopped on a train to Great Yarmouth and walked from Great Yarmouth to a little village called Bramerton. Um, so that was fun. I must admit, I very I enjoy spending the time with friends. Uh, the walk itself, mostly enjoyed it. Uh, probably a few moments where I was like, I could do with this being over right now. So. It's one of these weird things. We we asked. I mean, there's a few like themes of stuff that came up during the, the talk, and I thought maybe we'll talk about that as say in terms of kind of the, the questions that people ask. Um, but one one of them was uh, around like, do you think this is harder than doing a marathon? And I was like, mm, I don't know. It's a difficult one. So I was thinking, would it be easier to run twenty six point whatever miles or walk it? Immediately, you'd, most people would say walk it, wouldn't they? You'd just immediately think walk it. But pace, wasn't it? But then, but then, yeah, but 
that's I think that's what I mean though. But like, if you ran a marathon, the intensity of running for twenty six miles is a lot higher, obviously, than walking. So you would think immediately then, okay, logically it makes sense to me that a marathon would be harder to run than walk. But I think when you start to account for the time on your feet, obviously, if you're running, you're on your feet a lot less. I do think, hmm, perhaps, actually, the walking does have quite a harder effect in the longer term. Certainly, I, I felt quite broken. Not Maybe not broken. I wasn't quite at that point. Um, but there was moments where I was like, I really want this ended now because like, my feet hurt, my knees hurt. Um, I could start to feel my like adductors um, tense is probably the word in that they felt like at some point soon they're going to start to get to the kind of the more severe cramping almost feel, which obviously isn't a nice thing to then try and do to continue to have to walk. Um, so yeah, that question came up and I think we didn't, you know, I've never run a marathon so I can't say I know for definite. Um so yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Be about to walk a marathon, buddy. I, well, yeah. I, I, I again, logically, I would say that I would agree. Other than, I'm not really sure, and I think maybe actually walking might just be harder on the legs, but because of the, just purely because of the time you're on them. I think so. Yeah. I mean, you might run a marathon in like, if you run a sub four hour marathon. It's a fucking good time, right? For for most people, isn't it? Like. Obviously, I've just done twenty nine mile twenty nine point six miles, and that took us eleven hours. So it's 11, 11, 11, Yeah, I mean, we set off at half seven ish, and I, we got to our final destination, which was a lovely pub on the in the Norfolk Broads on the river, um, at quarter past six, half past six, something like that. Decent time when you've done eleven hours. Yeah, and I've, obviously, there's a couple of stops. We had a half hour break for lunch, and a you know two or three. 10 minute breaks here and there but you know you could have probably said 10 hours of that were walking at the 11 so and it's across like marshlands and um some little small villages and stuff but any hills uh no no major ones as you know norfolk's reasonably flat i don't know i'm telling you no it is quite is reasonably flat so we don't have any mountains here mate so i got plenty of mountains by me Mm, yeah well as i say i think compared to the most of the country norfolk is considered quite a reasonably flat area but yeah, no real major hills and stuff, but yeah, um, lucky enough. Like I think I survived feet wise with pure, mostly just a, uh, a, a quite severe blister on my little toe, uh, which was obviously rubbing for a period of time. Which I'd be honest, I kind of had blanked out and not really noticed it. So I think the damage just kept happening without me really thinking too much of it. So I've got quite basically I've got the, the bright red flesh under like the underneath of my toe where like the top three layers of my epidermis has peeled off. And um, it's just like, you, you, it feels, it just looks like flesh underneath now. It's not bleeding everywhere or anything, but it looks like there's no skin on top of it. And it's just like this bright, reddy pink, kind of like thin layer on top. Battle scar. That'd be all right. I don't think it'll, I don't I think it'll be a real battle scar, mate. Um, but I think other than that, I mean, the, I think actually the worst things about it, other than obviously the kind of, I said about my adductors and kind of my legs feeling quite poor at one point, joints were a little bit, like knees started to ache a bit. Um, I got bit twice by horseflies, which is fucking yeah. horrible. Because now I'm in for a week of agony. Like, if anyone's ever been bitten by horsefly, and I used to, my old house used to be next to a wood, like literally, like the other side of my garden was there's a massive wood next to it. I used to get bit probably at least once or twice a year. Like, I'd be cutting the grass, my shirt off, and like you, you know, your lawnmower's going. I didn't hear or feel anything. Next time, I'm like, ah, shit. And um, they are horrible, horrible things. So, um, wait, what yeah. I gonna say? Say again. Yeah. 
I've never been bitten by one. Have you not? Mm, okay. Mm. They're just um, they they nip like because I think if you ever look at you Google close up anyone listening now just pause it a second or you don't have to pause it you can carry on if you want but go to your phone and Google like um, a close up of a horsefly and they got like they don't bite like a mosquito they don't have like a a pin no, I don't know what's it called not a pincer don't you call it but they don't have a, like a, a needle almost that sticks in they have like a, a circular razor motion like the that spins around and, like cuts through your skin mm-hmm. and. Um, yeah, they nip and bleed sometimes. Like, I've been bit before and it's like literally bled down my arm. Um, but they just, they, they irritate. I'm, I know I'm going on about this and I'm making it, but they are just nasty. They just irritate for so long. Like some people actually get quite severe. Like you can get, I don't know if you probably, I don't know if you get sepsis, but they can get infected and get quite bad. Um, like you obviously have to, have to go and have antibiotics to cure it. So some people, because they get a really bad reaction to it, but nasty things anyway i think that's probably one of the worst things i've got like one on the side of my neck here now and one on my uh, left calf although it does make my left calf look bigger than it is which is quite good but um they just annoy they annoy you because you can't sleep because you're just constantly itching and stuff and our periton after bite doesn't seem to touch it i hate itching like that yeah you know if an itching goes away great but when it continues and itching like oh my god yeah that's usually i usually find about a week so i'll have a week of like shit night sleep now every night because of this thing are you waking today genuinely actually no my i think the only thing is my feet are slightly tender is probably the only way to describe it like the arches and the kind of the fascia of my feet feel a little bit slightly tender um but no what i mean one of the things was that people are chatting about is like oh did you you know when, when have you been doing your gym sessions and stuff like in prep for the walk and um last week i changed some of my uh, exercises around just to try and help um, split them up away from the walk so where I would have I had um, I think an RDL and a sissy squat planned in on my sessions on Thursday and Friday and obviously walking on Saturday I decided to shift them earlier in the week so obviously it meant that I then had a bit more intensity in terms of congestion of leg exercises at the start of the week because obviously I'm doing kind of not full body but my um, I don't have like a single uh, muscle group or you know like a single muscle group day I have a leg day say so obviously a lot of my sessions will have a, a leg exercise and maybe an upper body or push, pull or whatever. But obviously they'll be mixed across the week. Um, so yeah, I just this week I decided, oh, okay, I want to try and front load my leg exercises, even if it's a bit harder. And it was a bit harder on my run this week as well, because obviously I've done a few more leg exercises prior to the run, which made my run harder. But I thought it was a worthwhile trade-off to be a bit fresh on this walk, because I didn't want to get 20 miles in and really be like, I can't do this, I need to stop. Um, which I did make that mistake last time a little bit on the Norfolk Coast walk I did that I remember doing my leg session I think either the day before maybe two days before and at that point I was doing just dedicated leg days and I remember thinking walking around where I was really suffering at one point thinking I really wish I had done that leg day I think it was a bad error to have done that because I guess you got muscle damage but also possibly low glycogen levels and stuff no matter how much you might try and uh, well if you try and super carb load then perhaps you might help but if you don't do anything special regarding your nutrition, which might be another kind of conversation point to, to touch on. But um, yeah, you might have slightly lower glycogen levels than you would like, and then they start to run out during the walk, and then your muscles just don't work, or you really might then start with, with kind of some, some muscle issues. So yeah, I, I did that. And then I was obviously supposed to, again, well, I say obviously, people don't know my schedule. I was supposed to have another session this morning, but to be honest, I was so tired, skipped it. I think that's one of the funny things. The... the um, when, when we finished the walk, I was more physically sleepy than I was anything else. Like, I, I, yeah, 
yeah, like I was obviously like my legs were tired and obviously tender, you know, a little bit tender getting up and out of the chairs and stuff like that. Like if I went to the toilet in the pub we were at and I was watching the football, I'd get up to go to the toilet. I was like, oh, little ginger getting up. But obviously once you get going, you're fine. Um, but I think the worst thing is we all sat around the table. It was obvious for all six of us. We all looked at each other thinking, cool, atmosphere is dead in here, isn't it? Because we just all wanted to go to sleep. Honestly, if I if I if there was a bed there, I'd have got on it and fell asleep instantly. So that's amazing, really. Like how that is, and I and I don't think that was literally a. Uh, oh, I was up early and I'm tired. It was a like physically energy drained, and that my body's shutting down because it just wants to sleep. Eleven hours of walking is quite a lot, isn't it? Constant walking as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, the the forty seven miles on the Norfolk coast loop was nineteen, and obviously that was straight overnight. Um, a few more breaks clearly but again that was there was no like there, you didn't stop and sleep or anything that was straight through other than you know the odd half hour hour break here and there so that's difficult isn't it yeah you must have been proper tired after that yeah very but um, so yeah obviously I didn't do my session today um, and I planned just I, say it again what was planned then uh, I had this morning back squats barbell back squats uh uh, weighted pull-ups, uh, I think some sort of chest, either dumbbell press or a barbell press. I can't remember. And then a couple, like a few accessories, like some biceps, triceps, and some other. I think. Yeah, it's supposed to be no go after that. I took yesterday. Yeah. Well, I'll be honest. I was if I was feeling more energetic this morning, which I was just a bit tired and thought because I didn't sleep very well because he fucking bites either. Um, then I would have probably just uh, not done back squats and just did kind of more upper body stuff. Okay. And then kind of switch it around again a bit for this week, but I'll have to try and catch up for the rest of the week now, which will be fine. That won't matter. But um, one conversation that came up as well, obviously, people, as you would probably expect, um, like food came into the equation, like either what the best foods to eat and stuff. And I was like, look, you're walking, you're not really taxing much of like your glycolytic energy systems in terms of like needing carbohydrates specifically and stuff. I was like, you just probably just need to eat enough and not too worry about it. I think your fluid levels are probably more important around making sure that you're drinking and, you know, electrolytes and this type of stuff. But it often the question goes, oh, how many calories do you think we're burning? Now, how many calories do you think you'd burn in a 30-mile walk, you know, 10, 10 hours of walking? Over and above what you normally burn? Well, just generally, I suppose. I guess a lot of people were looking at, like most people, a couple of people had Garmin's, most people had like, their, you know, Apple Health, Apple Watches or something. They were like looking at how many calories they thought they might put. And obviously we know that they're not absolutely accurate by any stretch. In fact, quite the opposite, but... Well, it's hard, well, it's hard to gauge, you know, I mean, well, wait, whatever you are. Well, your... Yeah, I mean, obviously I'm like 84 kilos, whatever I am now. I I wasn't really testing you, mate. You don't have to really. Cut. I just thought, like, think, well, what, what I what would it be like? Eighty. I wonder if I could have a have a have a, have a guess. Well, you have to start getting the met stuff out and working out kind of what the metabolic well, equivalents well, are. And if I just do. No, I don't. Fucking eleven hours of walking. Six. See, I think. Um, my withings said something like, in fact, actually, let me have a look. I'll see if I can check it. Uh, my withings, and obviously my withings does also measure my heart rate, so um, that should have a bit more accuracy in terms of its its caloric uh, estimations, but um, where's that gone? I was going to say my withings say... It's annoying, isn't it? Sorry, sorry for people having to wait for this. 
actually maybe it has, oh no, sorry i can't take it i'll take it back it hasn't said because i didn't actually track it on my phone or thing but okay someone else's apple watch said something like four thousand five hundred calories okay which probably isn't as much as people might think assuming that's anywhere near accurate and i'll be honest i don't think it's probably far off we got into a conversation of uh, um and obviously my mates are like this is boring why are you talking about this because they don't give a shit not into fitness or nutrition i've got one physio friend who's more interested because obviously i guess it comes with the territory being a bit more evidence-based at least which he is a very evidence-based physio um albeit not a specialist in nutritious nutrition um but yeah we were chatting about the um i mentioned like herman ponce's research that he's been doing about his constrained energy hypothesis about how uh for anyone, and anyone that's listening that doesn't know it's kind of the idea of that he's got him and his team have studied quite a few different um like hunter-gatherer tribes now and um they've actually tested like their energy expenditure through like quite reasonably accurate terms like using doubly labeled water where they, they essentially put like um isotopes like uh how did that I don't know the mechanism. Basically, they they kind of charge water with some sort of nuclear particles. This could be completely wrong, but basically that they then drink this water and they can measure um, energy expenditure specifically around kind of like excretion of like CO two and other stuff. I don't know. Yeah, basically, I don't know. They they basically label some water so that when it goes through, it comes out the other side, and they can basically say or comes out the other end, not the other end, um, but they can basically measure energy expenditure reasonably accurately. That so. That what they found is that even though like you can understand you can probably imagine what the lifestyle of a hunter gatherer is like like the guys are literally leaving in the morning and going and hunting so they are on their feet hunting all day and then coming home and um doing that like most or every day and you would think they must burn a, an amazing amount of calories and that's why they're all very lean um the reality was their average energy expenditure was like pretty much the same as your average westerner who doesn't do all of that and obviously that blows people's minds because you're like, well, hang on a minute. If they're literally going out on their feet and walking, okay, they might not be walking 30 miles in a day, but you know, they could be because they might be a lot slower or, you know, just stalking a bit more rather than kind of just head down and walking. But still, they're going to be burning a lot more calories than your average office worker that's sitting down on their desk type thing in, in the middle of fucking England. Are they comparing just activity calories and weight for weight no that's that's total daily energy expenditure total daily total daily and, and, and uh, yeah, i mean obviously you make a point there in that they are smaller and leaner generally than the average westerner i'd imagine so clearly the average westerner is going to have an advantage in terms of energy expenditure just by being bigger but when you factor in the physical activity side and the differences there it doesn't make up for it like the physical activity differences are so massively different you couldn't imagine that we'd have similar energy expenditures. It just doesn't make sense in people's minds. No, you would you would think it'd be a lot more, wouldn't it? Hmm. But I guess they like them in hunting for so long and then just being idle for the rest of the time. Which yeah. I, I doubt really, but I mean well, probably wouldn't hunt and stuff. When when you're hunting from light till dark, there isn't much time to be idle that's the thing is it it's not like you know the, the idle time is sleep which is essentially what everyone does anyway i suppose it would be it would depend on how quickly they caught whatever they needed to catch well some, sometimes yeah well so, sometimes they might get lucky in early sometimes it might be days and or never almost um no, that would, no, I would imagine over time. Hmm. so See, it's interesting 
I was going to say, it's, in, it's interesting, isn't it? And uh, I thought about it, and I haven't read loads about his work, to be honest, but although I've been meaning to for a while, I can get a bit more into it. I was even thinking about getting his book to kind of read through it. Because um, I always thought it was a really interesting concept. Clearly, it just feels like at a very high level somewhere, our bodies are very adaptive in that they will adapt. So if their physical energy expenditure is so high, I imagine like all of a sudden, all of a lot of other kind of energy processes will just kind of reduce to make up for it and that makes sense from a survival perspective because i guess if you're trying to hunt and gather food and your energy expense is really really high you're going to have a lot more chance of dying earlier because obviously you can't sustain that energy expenditure whereas if your body's smart enough to reduce that but allow you to still be physically active you then got more chance of obviously then catching something living longer and then obviously sustaining yourself over the longer term so it kind of makes sense that something like this safety thing of like okay you know there's a bit of a cap on it or this like he said constrained energy model where it's constrained to a, like a top end um and it, you i kind of think sometimes well that maybe that a lot that lends itself quite well to the literature on things like cardio and how we had kind of adapt energy expenditure cardio over longer periods of time as well so like you know you you start running you lose a bit of weight and all of a sudden things peter out but you don't change a lot a lot of that is because of efficiencies of processes and efficiencies of like your exercise and stuff so that kind of lines as well and i think i read somewhere around like potentially even like your brain starts to use less glucose as well so it's weird isn't it it's it's, it's weird it's a weird concept and i think i'm not really um i say read up enough about it to kind of know why but yeah, it, it, it just comes up because obviously I guess the people that I'm, I'm walking with are like, oh, we can eat anything today. And that'll be, you know, oh, I've got loads of calories to make up. And I'm like, hmm, in reality, you probably haven't got that many calories to make up. Or certainly not as much as you think. Not that I'm suggesting people couldn't just go and eat what they wanted, but. Well, it depends what you eat on the walk. Because if you if you want these people who go all day without food, I mean, you've burned maybe 4,000, 5,000. You've got a decent, you've got a pretty big meeting anyone not worried about it yeah so. well the, the the irony for me is that obviously i'm at the top end of of a massing phase and my appetite is pretty poor anyway uh, i had a massive smoothie before i left because i thought right okay well obviously access to food and stuff i'm obviously planning a pub meal later don't know what nutrition i'm going to get so i just started the day off with a nice smoothie of yogurt oats berries kiwi banana um some honey a bit of peanut butter just basically trying to get some reasonable nutritious kind of stuff into me from from the start uh and then we got i got on the train and got to i didn't really appreciate the how soon it was going to be that everyone's then wanting breakfast because i thought i'll do that and then i'll have breakfast after like later basically because I, I, i'll be honest i wasn't fussed really how much i'm gonna be eating today i certainly wasn't gonna be worried about like capping or restricting any form of calories um because clearly even if i ate more so if i ate six seven thousand calories of that walk and i only burnt four was i going to care no not in the slightest but we, they all got to McDonald's straight off the train at like an hour later after the smoothie. And I, I, I kind of started looking, tapping on the thing saying, oh, what should I have? And I was like, I don't actually want anything. So I just decided I'm not going to get anything. I could have easily just had it because other people were having it or like try to be involved. I mean, but I was like, mm. and to be fair, a couple of people didn't either. But I was like, oh, I was nearly got a bacon roll. And I thought, I don't even want it. Why am I going to eat it? So I just foregoed. So, and um I had a few snacks and stuff like a protein bar i took some eat lean snack packs with me um my friend uh, or one of the guys who organized it all made like lunch boxes thing like little lunch bags for everyone with like loads of stuff in like two chocolate bars another he bought he had like little aldi protein bars in there <laughs> um fruit little pasties like pano chocolate like big bag of loads of stuff and i kind of worked through some of that 
bits. But got to lunchtime, I was like, again, people stopped at this little co-op in, in a village we, we saw. We were going to go to a pub, but everyone said, should we just keep going, just grab something from a cop instead, which everyone agreed to. And like people were getting packs of sandwiches and whatever else. And I was walking around the shop going, really don't want anything. Just got no interest in anything I see. So uh, I just got a litre of chocolate milk and just downed a thousand calories of chocolate milk <laughs> instead. Tasty. Chocolate is so underrated. Yeah, it is. I just, I just fancied it. It was cold, obviously, like hydrating because obviously chocolate milk's um, very high on the uh, hydration index. Um, really good, obviously, electrolyte mineral balances in uh, in milk, isn't there? And obviously, chocolate with the cocoa. Um, yeah, obviously, got me forty grams of protein in, which is obviously uh-huh. one of the considerations. Like that's another thing people might not consider. I was obviously still thinking to make sure that I was getting regular protein feedings in, um, and I thought like I could just get. A protein shake or whatever and i thought i could either buy a pound to like I, I picked up two protein shakes which were like i don't know they were co-op's own brands which are only a pound anyway so a couple of quid for 40 grams of protein i was like there's a litre of chocolate milk there for a quid and that's got 40 grams of protein in it and obviously the additional carbs and fats that come with that would be quite useful right now bear in mind that i'm now on a fucking massive walk so i thought what what ideal time is there to other than now to down a thousand calories worth of, of chocolate milk so that ended up being my choice you would have like at the end of the day with a pub meal as well you would have probably eaten what you burnt if you'd gone had a smoothie then had a McDonald's then had it all through that big bag which most people would, would do and then stop in the co-op and then had a pub meal you're mm. talking double thousands got three, four, five thousand calories there anyway, potentially yeah I, you've only burnt maybe four the, the, the bag of stuff like I ate what I wanted out of it and yeah. didn't eat what I just knew I either don't, don't know the foods I don't like overly enjoy and when i say overly enjoy i mean i'll eat them i like them but they're not foods that really do it for me or really like float my boat so i can quite easily leave them about the best way to describe is probably what i've said before and what i say to clients new foods that are very neutral to me like i can leave them quite easily like i don't hate them but they're not something i really really love so they're quite neutral so i can leave them um so i kind of went through the fruit the bag of haribo i went through uh i think i went through one of the chocolate bars in the end um didn't eat the crisps, didn't eat the pasty stuff. Like one of my other mates ate those. Uh, but yeah, I think like given I probably had, I don't know, five, six hundred calories in the morning. I don't even know, snacks. I, don't know, I could probably say maybe 9,000 calories worth of snacks during the day, 1,000 calories worth of milk. Um, maybe another protein bar or two, I don't know. I can't really remember. But I, and then when I got to the, when we finished and stuff, like, I had no appetite again. I think a lot of people said they weren't really hungry. You would think we'd all be absolutely famished. But at that point, after walking all day and stuff, and I know obviously, you know, people are eating and eating a lot during the day, but the the walking and stuff, the tiredness just made me just, and obviously my low level of appetite anyway, I was just like, I can't do this. So uh, I nearly nearly said to like, I might just order a salad because I just don't even really want anything. In the end, I went for a buffalo chicken burger and chips, which I did eat and I did really enjoy. Um, but I could have quite easily again just not had even that many calories so but I don't know really, I, so I don't know how many calories I would have eaten during the day actually probably what did I just work that out as maybe I don't know six no, two thousand maybe probably probably consume four or five thousand calories over the day anyway probably with a with a pub meal and uh, a banana banoffee waffle thing I had afterwards for dessert well that nice. sounds very nice I did see a picture of that looked nice hmm. but I think this is where a lot of people get in trouble today. they do I say they do what you did, and they would dramatically overestimate how much energy they really need. I mean, it's like, like they, like they do, they, they'd have something for breakfast, 
then you take loads of snaps them out and then maybe have a pub me laugh thing oh I I deserve the whatever meter which could be like like you said before two thousand calorie burger so I'm like well if the goal for some people was to walk that just to do a bit of exercise and help towards uh, a weight loss goal then what they would have done would have been not pointless but detrimental to what they might have wanted it to achieve I, I i definitely think that i mean obviously something extreme is what i've just done 30 miles is is kind of a bit like you know look whatever you do today is not really going to be a problem so you just crack on type thing yeah um but i think the principle you said there definitely applies for people sometimes when they you know they go do a 10k race type thing or you know even worse a lot of people if they just do any exercise like oh i've worked hard today so i deserve that couple of chocolate bars and I think that sometimes, like, it isn't a problem. As you know, if people want to do that, there is no issue with people doing that. The issue only becomes when they don't get the result they're expecting, and they don't know why. That's where the issue is, isn't it? And I guess that that kind of principle still applies. Well, yeah, hundred percent. It's just the thing of British education. I mean, when you first people first start out on a weight loss journey or similar, then they don't. I mean, you could see the point of like, oh, yeah, I've done a massive walk, so I'll, I'll treat myself to this. You can't really, you can't fault the rationale now when you know, but when you don't know, it sort of makes sense to them. Well, I've done loads and loads of work today, then surely I deserve whatever it is at the end. But when you have no idea of calories and how many calories you, your body may burn in a day, then... You've got no idea that the meal you have at the end of the day is probably as much as you burned all day. But then with education, you learn over time to know, well, actually, yeah. what I need now is in mega thousands of calories. Yeah, I think I think you also learn that you don't need as much food in the moment as you might think. Like a lot of people feel, I need to fuel myself or I need to, if not, I'm going to die or I'm going to break down. I think in reality is you're probably not going to do that because one you have you know, a few thousand, you know, or two or several thousand calories worth of carbohydrate stores, glycogen in your muscles already, usually, unless you've been dieting and really depleted. Um, or you have tens of thousands worth of uh, calories stored as body fat in adipose tissue, which again, is probably the primary fuel source you're using anyway, because obviously I say the intensity levels in what you're doing in walking, you're going to be burning more body or fat, more fat oxidation than you're going to be burning carbohydrates so you're not going to run out of fuel like put it this way and i'm not saying that doesn't mean that eating some exogenous fuels as in snacks and foods isn't going to make life a bit easier because it will but i think to the point where you have to feel like you're eating haribo every three fucking minutes or you know you have to eat tens of thousands of calories to keep this thing up it's no no you don't need to do that you can survive on the stores that you have and you know general reasonable eating and yes okay you can definitely eat more than than you would do obviously if you weren't doing the thing but yeah i think the reality is we kind of have to take it we seem to take things a bit of extreme i think as a general population in that we feel like we should we're owed more or we you know we can get away with more or whatever the rationale is but i tend to think people eat more than they probably need to for these types of things but and i wasn't a slight on me saying because clearly i would have probably eaten more if my appetite was better than it is as well but and i still ate a fair amount when you think about it but yeah. Anyway, I find when I do 
sort of card, well, card, you know, is obviously the jujitsu and the kickboxing. Like, what I've done lately is gone to kickboxing at seven. Maybe done jujitsu, maybe done jujitsu kickboxing, fasted. Like, because I'm learning, I don't think, well, if I'm a bit less energetic, what's a big deal? Come back, I don't feel hungry. So I wait and I'll go to the gym then. I'm not saying that may, my performance may be, may be worse than it would have been normally. But I can go from 6 to 12 and not really feel that angry. I, it must be something to do with the, the extra cardio for me. So I'm like, well, I don't actually feel that angry. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I mean, I, I, the research on kind of cardio and its impact on appetite is quite mixed isn't it in terms of individual differences are quite high so some people seem to get really hungry some people seem to have an appetite suppressant effect when they do like cardio um so you might just be someone that you do cardio and you just don't really want to eat you don't feel like eating afterwards so um but i think it does just show you that it's, it's quite capable of i mean you just said yourself it might not be peak performance by any stretch um, and obviously, if peak performance is the goal, then eating is probably more than likely always going to be the right option than not. But when it's not a peak performance, and maybe your goal is more weight management or you know just something that suits your lifestyle a bit better, and not having the forced meals in, then perhaps not eating might be a better option. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I was just going to say on the flip side, though, um, I guess there is an element of I was thinking like with you, um, if you're kind of used to a routine, uh, you know, like you're doing a resistance training program and you're used to this routine and you've got your kind of nutrition quite consistent and stuff and then you suddenly throw in a jiu-jitsu like um few classes a week you might have to increase your energy intake over the week before you eventually fatigue because that will take quite a toll over the longer term um oh, yeah. I, I think that's obviously something to consider because a lot of people might think oh, i'll just start something new and whatever else and th- don't then don't fuel those at all so that might sound contradictory to what we were saying, or the kind of theme what we were saying a moment ago. But I think it's again, it just shows you how nuanced and in, in, um, individual this type of stuff is. But yeah, you can see people doing that the other way, where they don't fuel their their training, and they suddenly put in like huge volumes of extra stuff. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I think for me, my thinking is well, it's if um, people would say you oh, obviously bodybuilder, you just solely do weight training, or you must eat before you train. You've got to have all that energy. Like for me. Even when I was just solely doing weight training, I'm—I never saw a, a big difference between, you know, having breakfast before training and not. I'm like, I'm not a peak performance athlete. I'm—I'm I'm not so depleted that I need to feel well for carbs before training. Mm. I mean, I'm too really burning in training anyway. Not a lot. Yeah. I, ironically, <laughs> I used to find some of my fasted sessions were sometimes more. In air quotes energetic than not <laughs> like when I used to train first thing I never I didn't eat before and sometimes you think I felt better and stronger then weirdly yeah obviously the only thing with doing especially kickboxing is if you go in the gym and do shoulders you ain't gonna do as much because you're fatigued and likewise with legs you're moving you're swinging your hips around punching and kicking you probably want to avoid legs and stuff like shoulders, but then that boils into like, well, you may want to avoid chest as well, and like things like benching, which mm-hmm. you can use your shoulders then again. So, like, well, after that session, maybe look at things like back rather than doing other things. So obviously, you will see 
a drop in performance if you do those two things and then train later on like within within an hour or two of finishing kickboxing or jiu-jitsu yeah well that's about obviously volume management and load management because I guess we've spoken about that previously didn't we so about just when you start throwing in an extra thing like oh it's all of a sudden I'll start training jiu-jitsu your resistance training program is probably going to have to adapt to, to accommodate that because you're just not going to be able to throw it in and continue as you were because no matter what you do in terms of a nutrition perspective, you can't suddenly just eat your way to recovery enough to just account for throwing in stuff like you say, you do a kickboxing session, you can't just eat your way to recovery and then be able to just perform as you normally would straight afterwards because it won't, you can't, it, re- recovery has to happen regardless of, yeah. or, or it won't just suddenly be better because you've eaten a few more carbohydrates, say. But, like I'm not, like I'm not someone who obviously I work. If I was a millionaire and I didn't have to work all day, you could go right, do those two cardio in the morning, have a nap, refill well, train in the afternoon. Then yeah, you probably could recover enough. But that's not the normal person is in. So I mean, doing those things directly after, doing training directly after those two things, you are gonna, you know, you will see a detriment. Like you said, you can't just eat a bit more and recover fully because you think that's not allowed. I think. Uh, any other? Did you have any other questions, mate? Or is there anything, anything of interest that I hadn't thought about? Anything of interest? Yeah. Well, just the population of uh, our podcast listeners. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just think is there anything like oh, like you didn't speak about this about the walk because of, you know people might be interested in that I hadn't thought about, but I don't know if there is anything or not. If I kind of covered the key aspects. I think you've covered the key aspects, yeah. Yeah. We just thought it'd be interesting, didn't we, to kind of talk about something which is obviously not quite usual, especially when someone just says they did it for fun. Um, but, yeah, cool. Um, thank you, for everyone, for all the feedback that we got after last week's episode about uh, trans athletes in sport. Obviously, it was a difficult conversation, but hopefully, like, the feedback we're getting is what we, we would hoped, really, that it was kind of reasonably tactfully done and um, well-balanced. So thank you for those that... Uh, reached out and gave us some nice feedback um, if you haven't listened go back and listen now you might find it interesting um, please rate review subscribe tell all your friends and uh, help us reach more people thank you yeah meet, meet at least 10 million downloads per episode well we're on 9.9 something at the moment million per episode so yeah let's try and get up to 10 yeah <laughs> 9.9 look at me I'm so successful I've got a podcast that has four 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 listener episodes <laughs> we are trying to chase down joe rogan i i think he gets something like three million episode i'm sure i heard somewhere roughly you know he's a i, I do think he's a really good interviewer as well he and the thing about him is he will not accept bollocks from people well if he if, if he, he knows is not if he yeah if he knows it's if it's bullshit he'll call it out and he because sometimes it's like he's had people on the show, he, he doesn't understand the subject that well, so he can't really call the shit out. Mm. He doesn't know, he? but you know, he's had a few, had a few arguments thinking, poof, fair play. Yeah, he, do you know what I also like? He, he's, he certainly won't, he's not afraid to ask the, what for a lot of people might seem as silly questions. Like he'll say, oh, yeah. what, do you, what do you mean by that? Like a lot of people wouldn't ask that because they want to be seen as like not knowing or silly. But I do tend to find he's quite good at asking the, like the right questions. I suppose when you've done 
2,000 episodes or whatever he's done now. I can't remember what, what episode numbers he's up to, but when you've done so many episodes, you kind of... And he's quite an inquisitive bloke anyway, clearly. Hence the kind of variance of topics and stuff that he's clearly in, or read enough in to at least sound as though he knows what he's talking about. Uh, yeah, you probably do get to a point where you, you, you ask the right questions or, or ask quite good questions about things, but yeah. I just think he's quite reasonable for most part. Uh, stuff. So there's some stuff I don't agree with, but I, I think he seems quite reasonable in his his kind of values and approach on stuff. I like him. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Right. Anyway, enough blowing off Joe Rogan. Um, I will see you next week, I guess. Yeah. On the flip side. Thank you for listening to the NNN podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please help us by rating on your podcast provider, sharing with your networks so we can get our content out to more people. See you next week. Mm-hmm.